Yes, we're to look to history. Yes, we're to try to divine the intent of the framers, but we are not to leave our common sense at the door. Good point, Mr. Chef. Good luck. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, and KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN in Palinville, New York on WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me... From Bradblog.com, happy that you are joining us for more special coverage of the ongoing impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump, which, as you heard House uh, lead House manager Adam Schiff there say, we are not to leave common sense behind. Man, oh, man, that would be nice if some of the senators in the uh, in this trial started uh, thinking that way, wouldn't it, Desi Doyen? (laughs) It most certainly would. As we go to air. That trial of Donald John Trump continues. Senators are submitting written questions to both the Democratic House managers who are prosecuting two articles of impeachment on abuse of power and obstruction of justice against the president and to the attorneys hired by the White House to defend him against those charges. We will share some of those questions being read by read to both sides by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts. He's presiding over the case. And some of the fascinating and often enlightening answers to them. I think this has been the most interesting day so far, at least to me, in this uh, impeachment trial in the Senate. Yeah, it's been a really great overview of some of the legal underpinnings of the Constitution and case law and U.S. history. So it's it's like a little mini history class. And the specifics of this case where the White House has come up with some novel responses today to try to defend themselves. <laughs> novel is a very general generous word for it. We will discuss some of those shortly as we are joined by constitutional law and impeachment expert John Boniface of freespeechforpeople.org, which has, in fact, been calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump since day one of his presidency. In that case, for violations of the Constitution's emoluments clause, his group, in fact, has been 
uh, referred to, sometimes snidely, by the president's defenders as one of the reasons Trump should not be impeached because, for some reason, people calling for Trump's impeachment for such a long time means that he shouldn't be impeached. I will get his thoughts, uh, John's thoughts on that claim and much more momentarily. But as our special coverage continues, the biggest question still looming over the entire affair is if witnesses such as Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton, and other firsthand witnesses will be called to testify in this trial or not. And whether subpoenaed documents still being withheld by the White House uh, in this matter which is, in fact, all such documents, by the way, are being withheld. Well, if any of those will be turned over by the White House to the senators. Bolton's forthcoming book reportedly asserts that Trump did tell him that he planned to freeze military aid for Ukraine until they agreed to investigate Joe Biden and other Democrats in advance of the 2020 election. That, of course, is the basis for impeachment article number one, abuse of power. Just 51 senators would be required to vote for witnesses and documents for this trial, which means if all documents uh, of all Democrats vote in favor, just four Republicans would be needed to join them. As of Tuesday night, however, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell reportedly told his caucus uh, that he does not have the votes to block witnesses from this impeachment trial, at least not at the moment. A bunch of outlets, including Fox News, Washington Post, CNN, Wall Street Journal, all reported that McConnell broke that news to his fellow Republican senators during a private meeting after the White House Defense Council uh, wrapped up their opening argument on Tuesday. But several senators reportedly have yet to make up their minds, and that leaves the uh, possibility open that McConnell still could quash Democrats' efforts to call key witnesses. Thus, the question-and-answer period on Wednesday and again on Thursday are likely to be very key to the vote to be held, presumably on Friday, as to whether witnesses and documents will in fact be called extending this entire matter for an unknown period of time or whether it will be wrapped up as McConnell and the Republicans and the White House had hoped before Super Bowl Sunday and Iowa caucus Monday and the president's State of the Union address on Tuesday all of next week. But even as Bolton's book is set to be released in mid-March, the White House is now attempting to block that as well as his attorneys admitted during the uh, during Wednesday's Q&A session, as had been reported earlier by a number of outlets before today's proceedings began, as CNN, as, uh, CNN reported, the White House has now issued a formal threat to former National Security Advisor John Bolton to keep him from publishing his book titled The Room Where It Happened, a White House Memoir. In a letter to Bolton's lawyer, a top official at the National Security Council wrote that the unpublished manuscript of Bolton's book, quote, appears to contain significant amounts of classified information and can't be published as written. The letter is dated January 23. It said some of the information was classified at the, quote, top secret level, meaning it, quote, reasonably could be expected to cause exceptionally grave harm to the national security. 
The, uh, quote, manuscript may not be published or otherwise disclosed without the deletion of this classified information, according to this letter. Now, Des, you're looking at me uh, askance. Yes. uh, Yeah, why is that? Yes, I am. I I don't believe that Bolton, who is a longtime national security professional, would be so stupid as to include actual classified material in his book. So I think that this is a smokescreen. Top secret Uh uh, material. Exceptionally grave harm to national security. Yeah, and somehow uh, Bolton just didn't know about that. Yeah, I don't don't buy it for one second. I call BS. All right. Uh, along with that uh, BS today, Donald Trump went on a tear against Bolton on Twitter. He said for a guy who couldn't get approved for the ambassador to the U.N. years ago, couldn't get approved for anything since, begged me for a non-Senate approved job, which I gave him despite many saying, don't do it, sir. Takes the job, mistakenly says, quote, Libyan model on TV and many more mistakes of judgment. This is part of his rant. Uh, Donald Trump, this is the president of the United States ranting about his own, his third, by the way, third national security advisor on Twitter. Witness intimidation again, it sounds like. Uh, He gets fired because, frankly, if I listened to him, we would be in World War Six by now and goes out and immediately writes a nasty and untrue book. I'm sure Donald Trump has read it. He also fired off another tweet around midnight last night saying, why didn't John Bolton complain about this nonsense a long time ago when he was very publicly terminated? Trump tweeted, he said, not that it matters, nothing. Of course, uh, the White House had a copy of Bolton's book for some time. They said nothing about it. They were given a copy uh, at the end of December when it was turned over for a review of classified information. But that's your president and how he is trying to defend himself, even as his White House counsel is attempting, though not necessarily always succeeding in uh, doing a better job in the actual Senate trial. To give you a sense of how things are going on Q&A day number one at the Senate trial before we're Joined by Mr. Bonifaz momentarily, here's one of the questions submitted by Democratic California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who told reporters, by the way, on Tuesday that she could eventually vote to acquit the president. Her question is read here by Justice John Roberts and answered by House impeachment manager and freshman congressman Jason Crow of Colorado. The president's counsel stated that, quote, There is simply no evidence anywhere that President Trump ever linked security assistance to any investigations, end quote. Is that true? The president's counsel is not correct. There is, in fact, overwhelming evidence that the president withheld the military aid directly to get a personal political benefit to help his individual political campaign. First, Look no further than the words of the president's acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, who on October 17th, 2019, during a national press conference, uh, mentioned, quote, or he was asked about the direct connection between the aid, and he said, quote, did he, meaning President Trump, referring to he, quote, also mentioned to me in passing the the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely. No question about it. But that's it. And that's why we held up the money, end quote. He was repeating the president's own explanation relayed directly to him. Second, Gordon Sondland testified he spoke by phone with President Trump on September 7th. The president denied there was a quote, quid pro quo, but then outlined the very quid pro quo that he wanted from Ukraine. President Zelensky should, quote, go to the microphone and announce the investigations. He should want to do it. Third, 
The President's own advisors, including the Vice President and Secretary Pompeo, were also aware of the direct connection. In Warsaw on, Warsaw on September 1st, Ambassador Sondland told Vice President Pence that he was concerned the delay in security assistance had become, quote, tied to the issue of investigations. The Vice President simply nodded, tacitly acknowledging the conditionality of the aid. Fourth, we heard from Ambassador Taylor, who in direct e emails and texts that it was crazy to tie the security assistance to the investigations. Five, we also know there's no other reason. The entire apparatus and structure of the de Defense Department, the State Department, that should have been dealing with the other legitimate reasons, you know, the policy debate that the President's Council wants you to believe that this was about, they were all kept in the dark. And I'll make one final point. Again, if you have any lingering questions about direct evidence, any thoughts about anything we just talked about, anything I just relayed, or that we've talked about the last week, there is a way to shed additional light on it. You can subpoena Ambassador Bolton and ask him that question directly. Well, there's an idea. You could also subpoena documents that supports the president's argument that the White House has failed to turn over has failed to turn over any of, for that matter. Uh, one more here before we get to John uh, from Hawaii's Senator Brian Schatz on the White House claim that Trump's hold on, mil on military aid to Ukraine in exchange for a promise to investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter, who sat on the board of a Ukrainian natural, uh, uh, a natural gas company uh, while his dad was vice president, was nothing more than an attempt to root out corruption in Ukraine. That's all it was, and it was completely within the interest of U.S. national security. If the president were acting in the interest of national security, as he alleges, would there be documentary evidence or testimony to substantiate his claim? If yes, has any evidence like that been presented by the President's counsel? Uh, the answer is yes. Right? There are well-established processes, mechanisms, and agencies in place to pursue valid and legitimate national security interests of the United States, like the National Security Council, like the National Security Advisor, as in Ambassador John Bolton, uh, and you know, many other folks within the State Department and the Department of Defense. And as we have well established over the last week, none of those folks, none of those agencies that would have been involved in having that deliberation, reviewing that evidence, having that discussion, were incorporated into any type of interagency review process during the vast majority of the time that we are talking about here. From the time of the President's call on July 25th to the time the lift the hold was lifted. Those individuals, those agencies were in the dark. And more so, not only were they in the dark, but the president violated the law by violating the Impoundment Control Act to execute his scheme. None of that suggests a valid, legitimate policy objective. More so, the president himself and his counsel is bringing at issue the question of documents and witnesses. If over and over again, as we've heard in the last few days, that the president was simply pursuing a valid, legitimate policy objective, if this was a specific debate about policy, a debate about corruption, a debate about burden sharing, then let's have the documents that would show that. 
Let's hear from the witnesses that would show that, because the documents and the witnesses that we have forwarded, that we have talked about, show the exact opposite. So the American people in this chamber deserve to have a fair trial. The president deserves to have a fair trial. In fact, if he is arguing that there is evidence, that there was a, a policy debate, then I think everybody would love to see those documents, would love to see the witnesses and hear from them directly about what exactly was being debated. Colorado Congressman Jason Crow responding in the uh, Q&A in the Senate impeachment trial of Donald John Trump. Let's take a quick break here, pick up on all of this with some very smart analysis and insight from an actual constitutional attorney and impeachment expert, John Bonifaz, as our special coverage of the third presidential impeachment trial in U.S. history continues that would be the impeachment trial of donald john trump that continues right here on the bradcast right after this i'm brad friedman don't touch that dial hey this is brad please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you most just like us do not receive corporate or political support we all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It has been a fascinating day in the U.S. Senate impeachment trial of Donald John Trump as senators have asked written questions of both the Democratic House managers prosecuting the case and the White House counselors defending the president. Joining us now for insight on those questions and the entire impeachment process to date over the past several weeks is an old friend and an expert on the constitutional process of impeachment itself. John Bonifaz is co-founder and president of Free Speech for People. He's a constitutional attorney. He previously served as the executive director and then general counsel of the National Voting Rights Institute. He has written several books on impeachment, including the 2004 book Warrior King, The Case for Impeaching George W. Bush, and his 2018 book with Ron Fine and Ben Clements, The Constitution Demands It, the case for the impeachment of Donald Trump. I should also note that John Bonifaz was in favor of Bill Clinton's impeachment as well, uh, as also calling for the one for George W. Bush and supporting the impeachment of Donald Trump. So like it or not, he has at least been both bipartisan and consistent on these matters, unlike a number of White House defenders in this matter. Hello, Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz and Lindsey Graham. John Bonifaz, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me, Brad. Great to have you back. Now, as a longtime advocate for presidential impeachment in a whole bunch of cases in recent history, let me get your general overview first of the impeachment process and the case uh, that has been brought to date against Donald Trump. Is, uh, is, is it what you had hoped for, sir? Well, at Free Speech for People, as you may know, we launched on the day of the inauguration of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Our impeachment campaign co-launched uh, with Roots Action, and we called for impeachment proceedings on that day because the president had refused to divest 
prior to assuming the oath of office. He had refused to divest from his business interests all over the world, mm-hmm. setting himself on a collision course with the two anti-corruption provisions of the Constitution, the Foreign and Domestic Emoluments Clauses. He has been treating the Oval Office as a profit-making enterprise at the public expense. So from that very moment, we've been calling for this president to be held accountable via the impeachment process. And unfortunately, as we know, there have been many other impeachable offenses committed by this president since that moment. The current articles of impeachment before the Senate uh, at issue with the Senate impeachment trial deal with the scandal out of Ukraine in which the president engaged in seeking illegal foreign assistance for his re-election campaign from the government of Ukraine Mm -hmm. and engaged in extortion and bribery to do so in the process and then obstructed Congress in its effort to investigate uh, that uh, set of high crimes. These are very serious charges. The president has been abusing his power via this scandal. They are not by any means uh, exclusive uh, or or all-inclusive, rather, Mm -hmm. of all the high crimes this president has committed. So there are many others that this president ought to be held accountable for that are not the subject of these articles of impeachment. Now, as long as you brought it up, John, uh, one of the cases that the president's defenders have made is that, oh, uh, Democrats have been trying to impeach this president from the very day he took office, even before he took office. Uh, In one sense, I suppose, they might be talking about you. I don't know that uh, uh, Free Speech for People is a a, a partisan organization, but you are one of the groups that had been calling for his impeachment from day one. Should the fact that you or anybody else has been doing that somehow make the current articles of impeachment less valid or less impeachable somehow? No, not at all. And actually, I will say that the White House Counsel's Office and the President himself have cited a Washington Post article covering the launch of our campaign on mm-hmm. the day of the inauguration. And we're proud of that. The fact is is that we were right to start the, the process in calling for impeachment proceedings the moment the first high crime was committed. And that was the moment he took the oath of office and yet was treating from that moment the Oval Office is a profit-making enterprise at the public expense. He had a responsibility, a constitutional requirement, to divest from his business interests in order to comply with those two anti-corruption provisions, and he, and he did not do that. And he's been defying the Constitution and the rule of law ever since. So I think the, the more appropriate uh, focus is really on all of the high crimes this president has committed, not just those uh, via the Ukraine Scandal, but certainly what has emerged out of the Ukraine scandal is enough to remove him from office. Uh, but if this president is not removed from office via these articles, the House should proceed to advance new articles of impeachment. There is no reason for why this president should not be held accountable for his cruel and unconstitutional imprisonment of children and their families at the border, for his obstruction of justice, for his abuse of the pardon power for his racist abuses of power, for his violations of the Foreign and Domestic Emoluments Clause. The list goes on, and the president ought to be held accountable for those high crimes as well. Well, um, I've got a lot to ask you about, John Boniface, on this and on the specifics of this Ukraine case uh, that is before us now, obviously. Uh, But I think that the defense... 
uh, that the uh, president's team is defending might speak to many of those other issues you bring up, specifically uh, before Wednesday's uh, uh, question and answer period. Uh, During their opening and and potentially closing arguments, if no witnesses are called, the president's defense team, most notably TV radio lawyer Jay Sekulow and White House counsel Pat Cipollone, argued that even if the charges against Trump uh, in this Ukraine matter are true, that they are not impeachable because the dispute in contention uh, regarding the withholding of aid to Ukraine was little more than a policy difference between Trump and his opponents. And that list that you just gave me, John, uh, of, of uh, you know, things that they would certainly regard as policy differences would also not be impeachable, as his defense team is arguing. Uh, your response to that, that this is all little more than policy differences? Well, this is exactly why there ought to be a full and fair trial, first of all, to have witnesses, to have the demand for documents uh, so that we can demonstrate further uh, via this process the abuses of power this president has committed. If the facts are to be fully aired to the Senate and to the American public, it's clear this is not a policy dispute. This is about a president who thinks he's above the law, who abuses his power, uh, violates his oath of office, engaging in this kind of behavior. This is not, I mean, I have a disagreement personally with the president on different policies, but that's not what this is about. We are a nonpartisan organization, mm-hmm. as you have highlighted, and our focus is around this president's defiance of the Constitution, defiance of the rule of law. The, the abuses of power this president committed with respect to the Ukraine scandal deal with his illegally soliciting foreign assistance from a foreign government to assist his reelection campaign, engaging in extortion and bribery in the process of doing that by holding back congressionally approved aid to the government of Ukraine. He had no basis to hold it back for that personal gain uh, purpose, and then to obstruct Congress in its investigation to get to the underlying truth here. So those are the abuses of power associated with these articles, but the other articles of impeachment that I've that we included in a, in a submission to the House in terms of expanded articles of impeachment also deal with abuses of power. The cruel and unconstitutional imprisonment of children and their families at the border is a, is a direct abuse of the oath of office uh, and of the power of the presidency. He does not have the right to violate the constitutional rights of thousands of people uh, at the border. When you cross the border in this country, regardless of whether you've crossed it with papers or without, you are entitled to due process protections, and that's not what's happened. What's happened is people have been placed, children and their families have been placed in, in, in squalid conditions in these, in, in these camps, uh, really mm-hmm. internment camps, uh, and, and in fact, some have died as a result of this practice. These are abuses of power. This is not a policy. And, and, and you know, fair enough. I, I, too, join you, John. I wish he was being impeached for that as well. He is not being impeached for that, however. He's being impeached in this Ukraine matter, which 
you know, Sekulow, uh, again, a, a Trump attorney here, argued during their uh, opening presentation that essentially what has happened is the bar has been lowered on impeachment is dangerously low for impeachment at this point. Presidents will now be impeached anytime the opposition party takes control of the House. Is uh, is that true? What What is your response to that? Well, I just think it, it ignores the facts. I mean, what the president's counsel wants to do in this Senate impeachment trial is to ignore all the facts and to simply focus on distracting arguments like this is just a policy dispute or this is somehow a, a partisan mm-hmm. process. The fact is, first of all, that Justice Amash, Justin Amash, rather, uh, Michigan. Not yet. Not yet, Justice Amash. But that sounds like not a good yet, idea. Not yet. Yeah, not okay, yet. Go not ahead. Just, Justin Amash. <laughs> who had been a Republican until very recently, is now an independent, he voted for these articles of impeachment. Uh, And and there's a reason why he did, because he believes, as he has said, that there are clear violations of the Constitution that have taken place here and abuses of power. Mm -hmm. So it's not accurate to describe this as simply one party versus the other when you have a moshist vote with the Democrats in the House. But the other point to, to focus on is just that the facts demonstrate that this president chose to engage in seeking illegal assistance from a foreign government for his own personal gain for his reelection campaign. Uh, and, and those facts rise far above any kind of policy dispute. They are impeachable by definition, uh, and, and that they're a high crime for which the Senate must act. I mentioned, uh, John, that you had supported the uh, impeachment articles against Bill Clinton. There have been a lot of flip-flops among Trump's defenders here between their positions uh, in in the Clinton impeachment and on this one. Most notably, I guess, Ken Starr, who was the special prosecutor who led the impeachment probe against Clinton, but is now arguing on behalf of the Trump team that there must be a bipartisan consensus to impeach a president, he has flip-flopped, as has celebrity defense attorney, not a constitutional scholar, to my knowledge, but a defense lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, who now argues that abuse of power itself is not an impeachable crime. That is, of course, the exact opposite of what Dershowitz argued back in 1998 during the Clinton impeachment. Uh, I welcome your thoughts on uh, on either matter, on either Starr or Dershowitz here, as someone who also supported the Clinton impeachment, as they did. And also, uh, what what have you now flip-flopped your position on since then, Mr. Bonifaz? Well, first of all, I would say that they are uh, exhibits A and B on the height of hypocrisy. Uh, Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz for having argued, as you highlight, that abuses of power are, in fact, impeachable offenses, but now trying to claim uh, that they're not, uh, and that somehow, uh, you know, what what has taken place here is doesn't rise to what the framers decided were, were impeachable offenses. Nothing could be further from the truth. Every reputable constitutional scholar in this country, of which Alan Dershowitz is not, as you highlight, he's a criminal defense attorney and law professor. Every reputable constitutional scholar has been clear that the impeachment power in the Constitution is to address treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors, which include abuses of power, crimes against the state. Alexander Hamilton talked about these crimes being political uh, in nature. They are abuses of 
power and abuses of the public trust. James Madison said a president is impeachable when he attempts to subvert the Constitution. And that's what this is about, and that's what's happened here. There's absolutely no requirement whatsoever that there be a showing of a violation of the federal criminal code in order to establish an impeachable offense. In fact, at the time uh, that the framers were, were, were drafting uh, the, the impeachment clause, and then the time, of course, the enactment of the Constitution, there was very little under the federal criminal code uh, for which there could be any crimes established. So that, that is just a completely specious argument. And, and, and for Ken Starr uh, to get up there, the, the irony is rich. I mean, here he is, the man who delivered the impeachment report uh, to the Congress that led to the Clinton impeachment, which I did support, mm-hmm. and I believe that was an abuse of power as well, for him now say uh, that somehow what's been presented here is not impeachable is just is, is mind-boggling. But I have not flip-flop on this. I stand by my position on the Clinton impeachment, as I do on the call for George W. Bush's impeachment and for this one. And the reason why, this is about we the people. Right. We have this power in the Constitution to deal with threats to our republic from officials in the government who so abuse that power that they need to be removed to remove that threat. That's what this is about, and we need to rise up as we the people to demand the removal of this president as well. I can only imagine, uh, John, how your head must be exploding when you watch some of this uh, argument coming from the White House in this particular case, uh, particularly from guys like Dershowitz and and Starr, but really from all of them. But uh, Dershowitz on Wednesday during the question and answer period, I think, sort of added a new defense. He was uh, arguing that a, uh, a, a quid pro quo in and of itself cannot be impeachable because a uh, quid pro quos are done all the time. This for that you make trades uh, and deals in foreign policy. But if the president had done uh, done so, for example, asking for personal enrichment, asking for money or that a hotel be 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 built uh, in 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 Ukraine or something like that, that that would be wrong. But he said doing something that would help him get reelected is not wrong. And here comes this, I think, a pretty novel uh, defense. It's not wrong to ask for help in being uh, reelected, because if the president thinks that him being elected, reelected, is the best thing for the country, then that's all he's doing is looking out for the national interest. He is doing what is best for the country. Uh, it's not for himself. I think he gets credit for the chutzpah in that particular argument, at least. But uh, your response to it, John? Well, it's akin to President Nixon's famous line that if the president does it, it is not against the law. It's not illegal. I mean, this is essentially Donald Trump's view that he's above the law and that he can do whatever he wants. And he has, as his sidekick counsel, Alan Dershowitz, making that very argument today before the U.S. Senate to, to say somehow that it's in the public interest for the President of the United States to cheat, to rig an election so that he can get reelected because he thinks he somehow is the messiah for everybody and ought to become president again or even stay in office forever as dictator. I mean, this is just incredible. I mean, this is incredible that we are facing right now this kind of argument in the United States Senate that is akin to suggesting that why why even have an election? Well, what's the point? Why don't we just anoint him king and say that that's in the public interest? I mean, this is absurd. It's absurd on its face. It's totally contrary to what the framers 
intended with the impeachment power. And honestly, you know, it's 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 really incredible that Alan Dershowitz is doing this to his legacy. He's done important cases uh, in in his time as a criminal defense attorney, but as an as an attorney. On the question of impeachment, he, he's out of his league. Let me uh, get your thoughts on uh, this question. There was, uh, as I said, a bunch of interesting questions uh, presented by the senators, written questions that were handed to the uh, the presiding uh, Chief Justice, John Roberts, presiding over this Senate. Uh, he would read them. They would be answered either by uh, members of the White House defense or by the House managers. Uh, here's a question uh, about, uh, this comes from uh, Kamala Harris, I think, of California, uh, about that point you raised, this notion that uh, essentially a president can do uh, anything he wants. Uh, it's not illegal, essentially, when the president does it. Here is, uh, I think we've got uh, John Roberts reading the question and the answer from House Manager Adam Schiff. President Nixon said, quote, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal, end quote. Before he was elected, President Trump said, quote, when you're a star, they let you do it, you can do anything, end quote. After he was elected, President Trump said that Article 2 of the Constitution gives him, quote, the right to do whatever he wants as president, end quote. These statements suggest that each of them believed that the president is above the law, a belief reflected in the improper actions that both presidents took to affect their reelection campaigns. If the Senate fails to hold the president accountable for misconduct, how would that undermine the integrity of our system of justice? Mr. Chief Justice, uh, Senators, I think this is exactly the fear. I think if you look at the pattern in this president's uh, conduct and his words, what you see is a president who identifies the state as being himself. When the president talks about people that report his wrongdoing, for example, uh, when he describes a whistleblower as a traitor or a spy, the only way you can conceive of someone who reports wrongdoing as committing a crime against the country is if you believe that you are synonymous with the country, that any report of wrongdoing against the president, the person of the president, is a treasonous act. You have the argument made that we have absolute immunity, uh, and the court that addresses this says, no, you don't. You're not a king. That argument may be thought of with favor by various presidents over history. It has never been supported by any court in the land. There's no constitutional support for that either. That is the sign of a president who believes he is above the law, that Article II empowers him to do anything he wants. And I'll say this, if you accept that argument, if you accept the argument that the President of the United States can tell you to pound sand when you try to investigate his wrongdoing, there will be no force behind any Senate subpoena in the future. The fighting all subpoenas started before the impeachment. If you allow a President to obstruct Congress so completely in a way that Nixon could never have contemplated, nor would the Congress of that day have allowed. You will eviscerate your own oversight capability, not Thank just you, in counsel. impeachments. Well, I, I think he speaks to it pretty uh, directly there. 
uh, John Bonifaz. Anything you can add to what uh, Adam Schiff had to say, and and your general thoughts, by the way, uh, Adam Schiff. I don't I don't know if he's a constitutional law expert or not. He was a former prosecutor out here in Los Angeles. I'm curious, uh, your in general, your thoughts for how he has uh, been carrying out this case as the lead uh, manager I- I- in this matter. I, I think Congressman Schiff has done a very powerful job of making the case against this lawless president. But I will say that I would expand on the answer he gave to Senator Harris's question. I mean, it's not only as as bad as that is regarding the oversight responsibilities being undermined uh, in Congress if this president is not held accountable via this impeachment process. It goes far beyond that. We're dealing with the very essence of whether a president is going to be accountable to the law Mm -hmm. or going to be above the law. And the moment that we go down the road of saying that, in fact, we're going to exclude him from any accountability uh, for these kinds of high crimes, we're on that road to a monarchy, to a dictatorship. That, that's the danger uh, that we face. I know people you know, on the, on the Trump defender side didn't like it when Congressman Nadler got up there and saying he's acting like a dictator, but that's essentially what is happening here when this president is not being held accountable for his high crimes. So uh, this is a very serious moment for our nation, for our republic, and for the Constitution. I think Senator Harris's question went right to that. As to the claims uh, that the House should have uh, done the subpoena process, that John Bolton and other witnesses should not be brought in because they should have been subpoenaed by the House before the matter got to the uh, got to the Senate, before they sent over the articles. Uh, well, there, uh, there was a question that came up. I think it was from uh, Ed Markey, if I'm not mistaken, about, you know, exactly did they fail? Did the House fail in not playing out the subpoena process over in the uh, House in the courts before they brought it to the Senate. That seems to be the only excuse at this point for not bringing in John Bolton. Uh, let me let me play uh, part of Adam Schiff's response here and get your thoughts on it, John. So that the record is accurate, did House impeachment investigators ask Mr. Bolton to testify? Senators, uh, the answer is yes. We did seek the testimony of John Bolton uh, as well as Dr. Kupperman, and they refused. We knew, based on the McGahn litigation, it would take months, if not years, to force John Bolton to come and testify. The president's lawyers say they didn't try hard enough to get John Bolton, or they should have subpoenaed John Bolton. That's what they're telling you. They're before you saying they should have tried harder to get these witnesses, they should have subpoenaed, they should have litigated for years, and down the street in the federal courthouse they're arguing, Judge you need to throw them out. They have no standing to sue to force a witness to testify. Are we really prepared to accept that? Now, counsel says, think about the precedent that we would be setting if you allow a House to impeach a president and you permit them to call witnesses. Well, I would submit, think about the precedent you will be setting if you don't allow witnesses in a trial. That, to me, is the much more dangerous precedent here. We understood when we got to this point, they could no longer contest the facts. So now they have fallen back on, you shouldn't hear any further evidence, any further witnesses on this subject. What's more, 
we're going to use the, the end-all argument, so what? A president is free to abuse their power. Now imagine where that leads. A president can abuse his power with impunity, can abuse his power in any kind of way, and there's nothing you can do about it. The biggest danger of all, I think, would be to accept the idea that a president can abuse his office in this way, and the Congress is powerless to do anything about it. That is certainly not what the founders intended. Uh, John, I want to focus on a very specific po uh, point there in Adam Schiff's uh, response, because I, I think this needs explaining. Do I understand this correctly, that they are saying that the subpoenas issued are invalid because, A, the House didn't vote until much later uh, in full to have impeachment uh, inquiries, and any, any subpoena prior to that is somehow invalid. But, B, they did not pursue them in the courts before charging him with obstruction of Congress, but... At the same time, as Schiff pointed out there, they are arguing in one of those subpoena cases in court that the House has uh, no ability, uh, no, no legal standing to subpoena a member of the executive branch. So they're in trouble because they didn't subpoena them and work that out in the courts. And meanwhile, in the courts, the president's attorneys are arguing the House has no right to subpoena anybody. Am I actually understanding that correctly? Yes, and it's completely contradictory, obviously. There's no way that, on the one hand, they can argue that the House should have subpoenaed John Bolton, but on the other hand, be in court arguing that that subpoena should not be enforceable. So it's completely contradictory what the Trump defenders are, are arguing here. But the other point I think we, we need to highlight here is that John Bolton resisted showing up before the House. He, he made it clear that he wouldn't do so voluntarily, and then uh, you know, when the issue of a subpoena came up, he made it clear that he would sue, just like his deputy sued, to try to stop that uh, subpoena from being enforced. And so now he's shifted. And we don't know why. Maybe it's to help sell his book. Whatever the reason is, he has now come out saying he would testify mm -hmm. before the Senate. It's unclear why it is that he was unwilling to testify before the House, but now is willing to testify uh, before the Senate. It's also unclear why, if he's willing to testify before the Senate, he doesn't just get up before a microphone right now mm -hmm. and, and tell the American public everything that he would tell the United States Senate. So part of the microscope has to be on John Bolton, but clearly with the Senate now holding this impeachment trial, there's absolutely no excuse with this witness being clear that he will come forward to call him as a witness. The manuscript that's now been you know published, uh, at least in terms of the content of it on this question, by the New York Times being published saying that he, in fact, uh, is the direct uh, corroboration on Trump telling him he was withholding the aid to get these investigations of Biden. That is critical evidence. It completely uh, undermines the case that the Trump defenders have been making that somehow there was no direct evidence, there was no tying of the conditioning of the aid for the investigations. And so he must be called uh, before the Senate. But he also ought to be push to tell his story right now. We shouldn't be learning about the details of what he knows a month from now after the Senate, if it does decide not to call him, holds this kangaroo court sham trial.
Let me take a quick break here. Uh, we'll come back with John Bonifaz in our uh, just uh, closing few minutes here on the broadcast. i got a few other questions I want to hit you with, John, regarding other witnesses who uh, should or shouldn't be called. I'm speaking with John Bonifaz, co-founder and president of Free Speech for People, author of the book, The Constitution Demands It, The Case for the Impeachment of Donald Trump. Sit tight, John. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? That is still the question of the moment. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I'm speaking with uh, constitutional attorney and impeachment expert John Bonifaz, president of Free Speech for People, which you can find at freespeechforpeople.org. They were, in fact, uh, one of the groups calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump on day one of his presidency for his uh, uh, violation of the emoluments clause in the U.S. Constitution, which he is not being uh, currently not being impeached for. But it might be nice if he was eventually. John, I I just got a few more minutes here. You had mentioned that, yes, you feel that John Bolton should absolutely be called in as a witness in this trial. Is there anyone else that you would like to see subpoenaed to testify in the Senate? And uh, who else might realistically be called at this point in this Ukraine matter? Well, Mick Mulvaney, the chief of staff, is certainly a witness that ought to be called. Lev Parnas has come forward, an associate of Trump's and Giuliani, to tell this story of this whole scheme to engage in uh, trying to extort uh, out of Ukraine the call for this uh, the announcement of these investigations. He ought to be brought forward, as well as all the documents that need to be mm-hmm. demanded. Uh, the OMB officials that Senator Schumer and others have identified who also were well aware of the holding of this aid, ought to be brought forward. You know, the fact is is that we could have a a, a full and fair trial with all of the relevant witnesses who have not yet uh, been heard, who have been blocked by uh, the Trump White House. The only reason why certain officials like Fiona Hill, uh, like Colonel Vindman, uh, you know, uh, others who came before Mm -hmm. the House, the only reason why they did so is because they refused to comply with the directive uh, that they not do so by their respective agencies. And they were brave uh, patriots for doing so. Uh, but that's the only reason why we even have their testimony. And what we need to now have are the testimonies of other key witnesses that this president seeks to block from being heard uh, 
by the American public. Now, in a real trial, and, and I'm not an attorney like yourself, John, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but in a real trial, you would uh, determine, of course, in advance who was germane to a case, who was relevant, who had probative value and so forth uh, before any witnesses were called. But in this case, basically anyone who, uh, you know, the senators feel like calling that they can get 51 votes to call in can be called in. And, uh, of course, they say, well, if we bring in John Bolton, therefore we have to bring in Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. I, I guess I want to say, A, should they be called in? And B, even if they shouldn't, do you have any concerns about them being called in if the Republicans feel they need to do this somehow in response to a John Bolton or Mick Mulvaney being called in as a witness here? Well, I think the key question is we must have relevant witnesses, people who don't have any relevance to the underlying charges that have been issued should not be brought into this trial. Those who uh, don't have any knowledge whatsoever of the president's scheme, of the president's you know, decision to hold the aid uh, so that he could get an announcement of these investigations, they're not relevant then to this trial and to the underlying facts. The, the, the Republicans may want to call Hunter Biden and Joe Biden because they want to create a circus or they want to undermine uh, you know, a particular mm-hmm. presidential camp, candidate's campaign, but that's not relevant to this proceeding. And so I don't think uh, that makes any sense. But you're, you're also right that in a trial, uh, you have, you know, an understanding of who the witnesses are ahead of the trial. The other thing that, that happens in a trial that's important to note is that the indictment that gets issued in a federal court case, for example, a criminal uh, prosecution, uh, gets issued, but that doesn't mean that evidence that comes forward after that indictment gets issued is not able to be put forward at trial. And that's essentially what's happening here. We have an indictment from the House of Representatives. These mm-hmm. articles of impeachment serve as the charges. And now we have new evidence that's come forward from Lev Parnas, from John Bolton, that needs to be presented at this trial and needs to be heard by the Senate and by the American people. Any effort to prevent them from being heard is a massive cover-up and will make this a sham trial. This will be kangaroo court, and every single senator who blocks this evidence from coming forward and treats this as a sham trial will go down in history for their role, their complicity, with this criminal enterprise operating out of the Oval And, of course, you're referring to, you know, a real trial where these things would be figured out in advance and there's a certain precedence. Here, as I said, the, John, the Republican senators can do anything they want. They've got 53 votes. All they need is 51 to bring in Joe and Hunter Biden. If if they decide to do that to somehow make, you know, placate themselves for the fact that uh, John Bolton is being brought in, yeah, I agree. It would be a kangaroo court. But is there any concerns above and beyond that? Does that make sense? What I'm, what well, I'm trying I to mean, get I, look, I mean, I think I think that, you know, there, there will have to be uh, a clear statement being made by the House managers as to their irrelevance to this process. But I, I also just want to highlight that while it's true, the Senate can do uh, whatever they want. They, they have the power. They have the sole power on impeachment. There's no court review of this. It's also true that in every other presidential impeachment trial, and of course we've only had two others in our nation's history, Mm -hmm. there have been witnesses. And in other impeachment trials, because it doesn't only apply to the president, it applies to other officials, there have been witnesses. So really the precedent goes against the the, the Republicans who want to block any witnesses. This would be the first time we'd have this kind of sham trial of no witnesses, no evidence, 
just hearing the opening arguments and then a motion to acquit. And, and you know, we, we, will, we shall see whether there is a fourth Republican to come forward to break from Mitch McConnell and to demand witnesses and documents to ensure this is not a sham trial. But again, if it is a sham trial, it will be a history-making sham trial with respect to impeachment. Last question, John Boniface, uh, were, you, uh, were you struck or, or convinced by any particular presentation or any argument by the Trump team uh, on a personal level? And, and, and if not, do you feel that there was, is there any legitimate argument that would resonate uh, with the Republican senators seeking you know, justification because they want to vote against the removal of a president who clearly did what he is accused of? I guess my question is, how, how would you, is there a way to argue this case on behalf of the president if, if you were trying to defend him or is he just so damn guilty here that there really is no defense for what he did? I think the case against this president is overwhelming. The evidence is overwhelming, and I don't think there's a way to defend him based on the facts. I think if you engage in distraction and spin control and talk about other questions and try to effectively mislead or lie, uh, that's how you defend this president. That's what we saw happen with his defense counsel, and that's the process they engaged in. It certainly is. John Boniface, co-founder and president of Free Speech for People. You can find their work and you can, I believe, sign on to their call for more impeachment articles at freespeechforpeople.org. You can also buy his book, uh, which he wrote along with Ron Fine and Ben Clements. The Constitution demands it the case for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Well, we are getting exactly that, John, and I appreciate your expertise here and uh, hope you don't mind if we bother you again in the future for more. I'd be happy to talk again, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Thank you, brother. You can also find John on the Twitters at John Bonifaz and Free Speech for People at FSFP. You know, I love the, what John Bonifaz has to say on this, and I just want to point well, out you would. very important <laughs> key facts here. Yeah. If Trump's lawyers and Trump himself and Senate Republicans believed that any of these withheld documents and witnesses would actually exonerate Trump, mm -hmm. then they would call for them. They have not. They have not because they know there is nothing that will exonerate him, yep. of course. Uh, just amazing to watch. Incredible. Fascinating. Uh, we will continue to watch it in the days ahead. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with your friends. That is all made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Once again, it is our 16th anniversary week. We have been uh, at this at bradblog.com for 16 years now, and it is all only with the help of readers and listeners like you. Bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I hope tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>